Good morning and welcome to Spirit Mornings here at Spirit Catholic Radio KVSS. Delighted to have you with us. I'm Bruce McGregor. She is Chris McGregor. And today, Chris, we're joined by Dr. Steve Meyer. Uh, Steve received his Ph.D. from the University of Cambridge in the Philosophy of Science. He's a former geophysicist and college professor and now directs the Center for Science and Culture at the Discovery Institute in Seattle. He's been featured on national television and radio programs, also featured in a couple of New York Times front page stories, and has been garnering a lot of attention in other top national media as well. Steve joins us this morning to discuss his new book, Signature in the Cell, DNA and the Evidence for Intelligent Design. Steve, good morning. Welcome to the program. Treat to have you with us. Good morning, and thanks for having me on. Steve, what a fascinating book, and it is a large tome on signature in the cell, the importance and compelling uh, new case for intelligent design. Talk to us first about what intelligent design is for those who may not be familiar with the term. Yeah, absolutely. It's the idea that there are indicators of uh, intelligent activity in nature, and uh, perhaps more formally we'd say that it's uh, the idea that there are certain features of the universe and of life that are best explained by reference to an intelligent cause rather than an undirected process, such as uh, Darwin's idea of, of natural selection acting on variations or mutations. Now, why would that be important for the average Joe out there? Well, uh, it's, it's important in science because uh, it's a, there's some fundamental questions, and uh, science has spawned... Um, since the 19th century, what you might call a, a worldview, which has affected the average Joe as well. It's affected all of our culture. In the 19th century, there were a series of uh, theories of origins and, and theories about human nature. Um, for Darwin's theory, perhaps most importantly, explaining or attempting to explain the origin of new living forms from pre-existing forms, but there were uh, theories about the origin of the, uh, the solar system, ideas about the origin of man, uh, ideas about consciousness. Uh, you had Freudian ideas of psychology, Marxist uh, materialistic vision of the of the future and of human the unfolding of human society. And you roll all that together, you got a picture of the universe as something that was eternal, self-existent, um, and and uh, the, and matter and energy as the the ultimate explanatory power uh, or explanatory entities, and uh, a view that essentially excluded any role for for God or purpose or objective morality and uh, and so the the materialistic that's come out of 18th century science i think has had a tremendously destructive effect on our overall culture it still has a great hold on the elite culture in the universities the, the media the law schools the courts and that sort of thing right in the bigger picture of why that matters too is that if we end up taking out that idea that there is an intelligent design, a creator, that put this into motion, then you can begin to take that creator out of all the other elements, if not just science, but also in natural law, moral law, those types of things. It becomes an almost no-holds-barred type of relativism that can take effect, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the whole natural law tradition and philosophy is, is grounded ultimately in the idea of design. And uh, in, 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 there was the, the famous dictum of the Russian novelist uh, Dostoevsky, if, if God is dead, then all things are lawful. If the materialistic understanding of origins is correct, then it's much more, seems to most people, and he may, that it's much more likely that there is no God or Creator, and therefore you do you do end up with this uh, pervasive relativism of culture. I think I'd add one other thing, and that is if there's no design or purpose behind life, 
then it's very difficult to think of one's own life as having purpose. And uh, this is something that is afflicting young people across the country in this epidemic of uh, teen suicide that we've uh, witnessed over the last couple decades. And many, many of the, the, the kids that have been involved in these really tragic, uh, you know, suicide shootings and, and out of the, 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 the materialistic worldview. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. This isn't necessarily a statement against a type of evolution. It's just the Darwinian evolution is very problematic, isn't it? Well, that's right. I, when you asked about defining intelligent design, there's a, another thing I could have said, and that's that, that we defined this theory over and against the specific proposition in Darwinian evolution that denies that there's any appearance or, or in, any appearance of actual design. The Darwinists say that there is an appearance of design, but that design is illusory because the purely undirected mechanism of natural selection acting on random mutations is sufficient to produce uh, the, the, the appearance of design in living organisms so that there's a mechanism that merely mimics the powers of, just, of a designing intelligence but is not itself guided in any way, we, we uh, are challenging that aspect of evolutionary theory and saying, no, there really is evidence of real design, of actual design, what we call intelligent design. The, the term evolution can just mean uh, change over time, and obviously a designing intelligence or God could, design, could uh, direct um, change over time, but the, the question is whether that change over time that we see in the history of life is directed or undirected. An intelligent design asserts the latter and over and against the Darwinian view. Now, in this particular book, in Signature in the Cell, you are looking at the basic building block of all life, the cell, and how that points to an intelligent design. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm not actually taking on uh, biological evolution in this book or, or what you would call neo-Darwinism, although I, at the end of the book... Uh, suggest that there are some lines of research that could uh, open up some a very new perspective in biology, even in, the, in those domains. But the book is, is about the origin of the first life. It's about a mystery that Darwin didn't address, and subsequent generations of scientists have never solved. And yet it's a very fundamental question. It's the question of how we got from uh, essentially this, this simple chemistry to the complex uh, integrated system that we now know the cell to be, the very first life talking with uh, Stephen Meyer this morning. Uh, The book is Signature in the Cell, DNA and the Evidence for Intelligent Design. You're listening to Spirit Mornings here on Spirit Catholic Radio with Bruce and Chris McGregor. Talk to us about that that fundamental difference, so that first life, how that points to intelligent design. Well, um, in the 19th century, scientists thought that the cell, the very the most fundamental unit of life and uh, was something very simple. Uh, in fact, uh, Thomas Huxley, one of Darwin's close contemporaries, said that uh, the cell is a, a simple uh, homogeneous glob of plasm, and he, he visited it as a, a little enclosure. And then with a view of the cell in mind, it was quite easy to imagine it might have arisen through a few simple chemical reactions. Uh, Post-Watson and Crick in 1953, and in the whole ensuing uh, what's called molecular biological revolution, it's become apparent that the this, the cell is an extraordinarily con- uh, complex system, and what runs the show in this in this system is information. 
And Watson and Crick, of course, discovered the structure of the DNA, but they also proposed, or at least Crick proposed, something called the sequence hypothesis that uh, turned out to be correct. What he proposed was that along the spine of the DNA molecule, there, there are four chemicals, and these chemicals are functioning just like alphabetic characters in a written language or digital characters in the machine code. Bill Gates out here in Seattle uh, says that uh, DNA is like a software program, only much more complex than any we've ever devised. That's a very suggestive remark, because if you think about it, we know that programs always come from programmers. And in fact, more generally, we know that information always arises from an intelligent source, whether we're talking about a hieroglyphic inscription or a section of digital code in a software program or a, a section of text in a book or in a newspaper. The information in those systems always arises from a mind, not a material process. So when we find information encoded along the spine of the DNA molecule, the most logical thing to conclude is that it, too, had an intelligent source, an intelligent designer. That's fascinating. Why is there such opposition to exploring this area more fully? Well, uh, in some ways, I think we were um, heard from some premature publicity. There was a, a, a trial in Dover, Pennsylvania, that was, um, uh, I think, most unfortunate, and it, uh, it jumped in and perceived in it a, a replay of the Scopes trial from the 1920s, and so there's been kind of a, a since then, a, a, a social stigma around the idea of intelligent design, but many of us were still in the, in, the, in the throes of developing the case, so I think that's one part of it. But I think the other part of it is that, that there's a, a deeply entrenched worldview associated with the, the, the science of, of, of um, uh, Darwinism and with uh, associated materialistic evolutionary theories like this theory of chemical evolution that I'm addressing. And so when you challenge those, that, that materialistic uh, perspective on origins, you're not just challenging a scientific idea, you're also challenging uh, an idea which, which uh, supports a, a worldview for many scientists. And so, you know, scientists are human like anyone else, so when deeply held convictions are challenged, uh, they often respond rather uh, ten- tenaciously or, uh, you know, sometimes emotionally. And I think that's, that's part of it. The, or- the issue of origin is, is a uh, scientific issue, but it's inextricably linked to larger philosophical and worldview concerns and considerations that are, you know, right at the core of, of, of uh, probably every human being's uh, deepest considerations about what makes life important and meaningful and that sort of thing. So in this discussion of the signature in the cell, why would this particular approach be one that sends up alarm bells for other researchers? I mean, wouldn't this not be embraced and, and be brought forward for further study? Well, you know, we're... we're actually hoping that it will do that. Um, that we've had, you know, the idea of intelligent design has created a lot of controversy in the last uh, five years or so. But uh, in some ways, I'm hoping that this book will open up some new ground and open, definitely open some minds. Um, and I've been pleased so far at the reaction to it. Uh, a number of very prominent British scientists, for example, have uh, have given very, very warm endorsements for the book. And, and uh, um, one of the things we're trying to show is that in addition to a strong argument for intelligent design, that intelligent design is actually good for science, that it opens up new avenues of research, new research questions. And, and part of the reason for that is that we know a lot about how human, human designers, intelligent designers, design information processing systems. Uh, we live in the digital computer age, and we do a lot of information uh, processing and designing of code. 
and uh, and since we know about information uh, or design strategies that are used to build information processing systems, we can anticipate that some of those strategies might be used in the cell and go out and look for them, and in the process uh, come to an understanding of how life works that, uh, that, that in, in essence, gets us to the right answers more quickly. So we think the, the idea of intelligent design is, is, in fact, it's already having some very positive effects on scientific research. We have a new lab out here where... Uh, scientists are using this to, uh, to as a guide to to investigating how life how life is put together. It begs the question that you ask in one of the chapters of the book: Is it science? You know, when we talk about this, I mean, is it just philosophy or a type of theological discussion, or is this truly science? Well, it is truly science, but it does have theological and philosophical implications. We we got the idea somewhere along the line, uh, I think falsely, that, that scientific theories never have larger implications for uh, politics, philosophy, theology, these other disciplines. But uh, that's, that's uh, just not the case. Lots of scientific theories do. I think Darwin's theory has larger philosophical implications, and many, many of his key adherents have uh, made those implications very uh, explicit. Um, but in any case, what I did in, in building my case for intelligent design is that I actually followed a, uh, a, an established scientific method of reasoning, in fact, the very method that Darwin himself used in The Origin of Species. I got interested in this question back in the mid-'80s and went off to graduate school. There were some scientists at the time who were saying, you know, this, this discovery of information, of digital code and DNA, uh, seems intuitively to point to the need for an intelligent cause, as they put it. And I thought, I wonder if that idea could be made into a rigorous argument, uh, a, a rigorous scientific argument, so, naturally, I began to study how scientists investigated questions of origin in the remote past, and I, I, I read the works of Darwin and, and some of his key mentors, including the famous geologist Charles Lyell, and I came up upon a, um, a method of reasoning and a rule of reasoning that made perfect sense to me. It, in other words, they advanced a great method of reasoning, and I used it to make my case. They had a simple rule, which is that if you're going to try to explain an event in the remote past, you should invoke a cause which is known to produce the effect in question. And I knew that origin of life scientists had come to an impasse in trying to explain the origin of information by reference to purely material causes, and so I asked myself, is there any other cause that we know of that can produce information? Of course, the answer was, was obvious, that that causes intelligence, and I realized that by following the, 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 the standard rules of reasoning that, that Darwin had used uh, and, and other historical scientists, um, I came to the conclusion that intelligent design was the best explanation for the origin of the key effect that had to be explained in the, in the origin of life. And that effect is, again, information. What's fascinating about the book is that the information that has been garnered over the last even couple hundred years since Darwin's time about the, what takes place in the cell and how the cell operates, that's, that's information he never had access to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what, it, there's a kind of irony to use Darwin's method to... Um, to, to reverse what many scholars regard, regard as the central legacy of Darwin's thought, which was the denial of the design argument. What I'm showing is that if you apply the, the very sound scientific method that he used to information, to, to, uh, to, to evidence that he didn't have, you come to precisely the opposite conclusion, that there really is evidence of intelligent design right at the very beginning of life, if nowhere else. Just a few moments ago, you made a, an important point that, in many ways, what started out as science with Darwin it became a philosophy that you could see permeate into our political systems, into social systems, into all different aspects. 
that is at the heart of why the intelligent design debate is so important now, because right now it seems as though only Darwinian type of thought is allowed to be taught in academic circles where this not really a new approach, but a different approach, the doors seem to have been slammed shut. Yeah, a- absolutely. It, it's uh, obviously not completely new. The argument from or, you know, to design, to intelligent design, goes back to some of the Greeks. It was uh, famously advanced by uh, Thomas Aquinas, uh, by many of the early founders of modern science as well. Um, but it w- in a sense, what we're doing is re- reviving that argument based on new scientific evidence. I've got an article this morning in the Boston Globe about Thomas Jefferson and his views of intelligent design, and he argued that you could know about the, the, the intelligent design behind life and the universe by using reason. You did not, it did not require revelation to, to know about this. And, uh, and, and so he was quite a staunch advocate of the idea of intelligent design, and yet his idea of, of separation of church and state has been used to exclude any discussion of this from the public schools, which... Uh, I argue, is obviously a misapplication of Jefferson's, uh, Jefferson's idea. Mm-hmm. It's ironic. I mean, just the, the prejudices that we have against intelligent design, in some in ways we denote it with creationism, which is different. I mean, the literal interpretation of the Bible, of the actual occurrences of Genesis, is not the same thing as intelligence design. No, there's two key differences. One is, the, the, I think the most important one is the starting point. The uh, intelligent design advocates are not trying to interpret a biblical text or reason from the biblical text as to what must have happened in the past, we're start, our starting point is the evidence, and we're making inferences from the evidence using standard methods of scientific reasoning. So I'd like to say that intelligent design is an inference in biological data, whereas creationism is a, a deduction or application of religious authority. Uh, but secondly, the ID advocates are not uh, concerned with questions of the age of the earth or... Uh, you know what? How long the days of Genesis were? There's, it's a, it's a theory that it's not addressing those questions, and therefore it's also not committed to the idea that the Earth is very, very young, as some, as some uh, young Earth creationists assert, for example. So, as I was growing up, one of my favorite movies, just because I, I thought it was a wonderful drama to watch, was Inherit the Wind, just to see Spencer Tracy do his thing on the screen. It was so wonderful, and yet surprises me even how it affected my ability to be able to understand what happened in the culture. I mean, that, that influenced a lot of people on oh, the discussion. Absolutely. Yeah, It was a fallacy in itself, and here at the wind really wasn't as factual as it claimed to be. Oh, it wasn't, it wasn't factual at all, and, and uh, yet this is the, the, the trope that many media people use when they cover this issue. I don't know how many of these talking head shows I've been on they start with a background, and always you have footage from the Scopes trial, and always this debate is portrayed as a replay of the Scopes trial, when, if anything, the shoe's now on completely the other foot as the, the Darwin-only lobby is trying to keep anything but materialistic evolutionary theory from being taught in the public schools. And even even uh, you know, our, our proposal for public education has been quite modest. We're just trying to get uh, schools to allow teachers to teach scientific criticisms of Darwin's theory as they exist in the scientific literature. And, um, and, and people are closed to that many times, and, and yet when the media covers the issue, it, it's the, uh, the, the advocates of a Darwin-only approach who are championed as the, as the, uh, the free thinkers who are open to all ideas, when in fact they're, they're really trying to shut the, the discussion down.
Yeah, and it's interesting, Steve, too, to kind of uh, update the whole film kind of thing that uh, Ben Stein, of course, had that documentary out not long ago called Expelled. And, and it was really uh, very interesting watching that documentary to hear the people that were supporting the, the Darwinian cause and basically the status quo was saying, oh, no, there's no harm that comes about to anyone who promotes or uh, espouses intelligent design. And, you know, one after another, Ben made the case there with the final stamp on there that uh, each of these professors and stuff ultimately ended up meeting the same fate. They were all expelled. Yes, exactly. And I, I happen to know from some personal experience that this is this is true. Uh, the, one of the first fellows that was covered in that film was a guy named Rick, Rick Sternberg, who right. was expelled. <coughs> well, he, he wasn't expelled. He was demoted and harassed. And um, <coughs> he published an article that I had written. It was a really traumatic thing for me, but much more so for him. Uh, I submitted this article to him when he was editor of a journal that was published out of the Smithsonian Institution. And uh, <coughs> after the article was published, it was uh, the lid came off at, at his uh, place of employment, and uh, there were uh, attempts to, to, uh, <coughs> to silence him, and they took away his office, his keys, his access to samples. There was a disinformation campaign against him. It really got quite, uh, quite ugly. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it really is. But I, I think what you've done with Signature in the Cell is just such a positive step forward, hopefully, in this discussion, and that it will be treated as scientifically, appropriately deemed as it should. Well, thank you. I mean, we're really trying to, to uh, evaluate this question on the basis of the evidence. In fact, that's what's so fascinating about it. We have these great philosophical questions that go all the way back to the Greek probably people just don't have history of what the humans were, were thinking about as much before that. But, uh, you know, one of them is, is life the result of an undirected material process, or is it the result of a designing intelligence? That's a great philosophical question, but we can now address that with scientific evidence and make an assessment of which of those two options is more likely to be true. That's a tremendous, uh, a tremendously exciting development in, in intellectual history. And, so it's uh, it's really it's a great time to be addressing these questions and uh, and what I tried to do in the book is bring to bear not only the the uh, discoveries of Watson and Crick and discoveries from the 50s and 60s but the most current things from genomics and uh, uh, you know things that we've discovered post human genome project and, and post something called the Encode project which is revealing that even parts of the genome that we thought were so called junk are um, replete with functions. And that overall, the uh, these non-coding regions, the regions of the genome that don't code for proteins, function much like an operating system in a computer that are telling the other modules of information in in DNA when to turn on and when to turn off and where to be deployed and so forth. So it is, it's just an absolutely fascinating period of discovery that's going on as we learn more and more about the informational properties, the information process system that's at work inside every living organism, every living cell. Um, the, uh, on Earth, it's uh, a great great time to be a scientist interested in the big questions. Absolutely. I've been visiting this morning with Dr. Steve Meyer, uh, directs the Center for Science and Culture at the Discovery Institute in the Seattle area. Uh, his new book, Signature in the Cell, DNA and the Evidence for Intelligent Design. And Steve, as we wrap up our all-too-brief time here together this morning, final thought or observation that you'd like to convey to our listeners? Well, one thing that might be we're saying is that uh, there's there's 
been some confusion within the larger Catholic world about how intelligent design fits with uh, traditional Catholic philosophy. And there's a, a young guy we have at our D- in our Washington D.C. office who's done a lot of study on this. And he's been talking with a professor at Catholic U. Uh, who wrote a fabulous dissertation on St. Thomas Aquinas and, and his views of, of, of all of this. And he addressed the question of what are called formal causes. And Aquinas was very careful to make a break with both the Greek thinkers, Aquinas, uh, uh, Aristotle and Plato, to show that, there, uh, the, that formal causes in the traditional sense uh, must be, uh, reside in a mind. They're extrin- extrinsic to the matter. In which they reside in in um, in, in organisms. So uh, that's essentially what the ID movement is saying: is that there's an idea in the mind of of a designing intelligence that's responsible for all the wonderful form, and we would now say information that makes life tick. So there's a great connection between the ID concept and these uh, the the ideas of Thomas Aquinas properly understood. That's something we've been exploring too, because as I mentioned, intelligence connects to to philosophical and theological concerns, and uh, that, that, that's an exciting development in the discussion. Absolutely. Again, uh, Stephen Meyer joining us. The book, Signature in the Cell, DNA and the Evidence for Intelligent Design, published by HarperCollins. And Steve, thanks so much for being with us today. We deeply appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate the time to be with you, too.